Good day and welcome to The Buzz, a Bank Automation News Podcast. I'm Lorraine Lawson and recently I spoke with Sue Laws, the Executive Vice President of Business Solutions for the Americas at Temenos. The core provider recently sponsored a report on artificial intelligence projects at financial institutions. The survey found that 62% of banks said the complexity and risk associated with handling personal data for artificial intelligence often outweighs the benefits to customer experience. I asked Ms. Laws to explain what Timonos offers in terms of support for AI and what CORS can do to address this issue. We not only offer an AI solution, but our AI is explainable. And explainable is a very important um, part of the offering because typically it's explainability that is incredibly important to the regulators. Because once a decision has been made in the event of somebody coming back to say, hey, we're not convinced of that decision, or maybe there was some bias involved, um, the ability to explain why that decision was made is, is, is the only way to have that full transparency. So, yes, we do have a solution. Um, it runs with our own core banking applications and solutions, but it's also very much um, designed to work um, independent of Terminal Solutions too. So do you get that if you buy the core solution or is it a separate add-on? How does that work? It, it's, it's a separate add-on, um, but in the world where we live in today now of composable banking, you know, any client that came to Temenos, we would be enabling them very much to compose what the banking services they would like to be utilizing um, from us. And then we would build um, brick by brick, as they say, what that end banking services are that they would wish to be offering which could include explainable AI, um, all depending upon what their needs are. But if, some, if somebody just wanted to buy it standalone, maybe to put on a, a wealth platform that they've already got, we could be readily leveraging our explainable AI capabilities with their, um, say, their wealth solution and their data lake or their data hub. So you said composable banking. What, I have not heard that term. What does that mean? Composable banking is really a new agile approach and a new way in which we can be designing and delivering our banking capabilities so that any one of our clients can in effect go to the portal and self-serve and pick and choose what capabilities they wish to be deploying. And then we can be, be delivering that to them for them to start um, readily testing and building products against it. Can you give so me an some, example? Yes, so in, in the days gone by when you would go for a monolith, you would maybe go to a bank and uh, sorry, to a software vendor and say, hey, I want to take your, your deposits and your lending capability. And you would just give them and deploy them the entire monolith of everything that's in that core banking application. And all you would be doing is turning on or configuring the products and the users and the capabilities that you wish, wish to use but that entire monolith of an application is what's being delivered to you. When you go down to the world of composable banking, you're in effect taking bite-sized chunks of banking capabilities that you truly wish to consume. So you're only consuming what you need, which then also ensures that you are only paying for what you get, paying for what you use. Um, and it also means you're a lot more agile because you're just taking what you need to get. So it's a faster and more agile way of deploying, designing and delivering banking uh, capabilities to, to the clients. Okay. And 
I think in a, another way maybe to describe it, Lorraine, which I like is that uh, financial institutions and banking solutions of the future are assembled and not built. Because built suggests that it's going to be, you know, like a, a big house and the roof sits on the house and everything. Whereas if we assemble it, you're enabling your clients and your customers to bring together those best of breed capabilities. So some people call that, I guess, microservices. Is that Microservices is one of the underlying architectures, actually, absolutely, because microservices is a, is a discrete business process that has been encapsulated. And then it's how you bring those different microservices together that you can then be starting to package up the banking capabilities. And each microservice will have an API, which is a means and a hook, a means of talking with each other. And so it's basically building all those components together. And if you ask me to go too much more technical than that, I'll have to go, <laughs> I need a propeller head to ride shotgun with me. Um, but no, keeping it very, very simple, it just means that we take Lego blocks to build absolutely just what we need when we need it. And then in the event that your volumes increase, you can scale up just that business process that you need to. You're not having to scale up for the entire application. Does okay. that make sense? Yeah, it does. Um, I might come back to that. Uh, but I, w I did want to ask you, looking at the survey, one thing that surprised me was that most banks, it said, agree 62% that the complexity and, complexity and risk associated with handling personal data for AI projects often outweigh the benefits to customer experience. Uh, what did you make of that, and how can CORS help with that? So, you know, the complexity and risks associated with data is, is, is a very serious, um, it's a very serious statement. When we're looking at data and what, what needs to be done with it, I mean, first of all, there's the responsibility to ensure that all the data is in one central place because the majority of banks and certainly the bigger of banks, they're going to have data in multiple places. They'll, they'll maybe have multiple cores. They'll maybe have multiple, um, master data management files. Um, they will have third-party systems as well, be it insurance, credit cards, debit cards, but information stored in many places. So the first thing we need to do is to be bringing all that data together in one central place, be it in, <clears throat> sorry, be it in a data warehouse or be it in a, <clears throat> a data lake. Secondly, then on top of that, we need to be very much bringing together a standard policy. And that needs to bring a standard policy of how that data is going to be accessed. Because obviously there's a lot of, as you say, there's, there's a lot of data, there's a lot of privacy associated with that data. And then the third step that's very, very important is bringing together the infrastructure and the tooling so that you can start to be writing and accessing the data to write the algorithms and then the machine learning together to take that data and do meaningful things with it and how to read the data and then how to use it. And those are three very fundamental steps which need to be taken as part of embarking on an AI journey. And that's where for me it comes back to, there is complexity and there is risk associated with AI, but once you take care of that and then have the right resources to know how to best access and then leverage that data, 
that very much helps manage the associated risk that goes, goes with that. But the risk appetite has to always stay with the bank and the compliance and their own, uh, um, own policies within as, as to how they want to best manage that. Because the other thing that I always say when you start talking about data and data privacy and how banks and, and financial institutions take care of that, you cannot put a value against reputational risk of doing something not right with that data. Um, you mentioned um, your AI capabilities. Uh, can you talk a little bit more in depth about that, like in terms of uh, how can that be used? How can that be leveraged? Where do t banks typically use the AI? Is it just the capability and then you train it as you want to, or is it already trained for certain things? So um, our explainable AI, I mean, we find the biggest use case for it is um, for fraud, uh, you know, so for, for monitoring, monitoring fraudulent transactions against, you know, like financial crime mitigation. So um, the ability to be able to, to look at all the transactions as the, and the payments as they're going through the financial institution. Um, by leveraging the AI, we can be very much getting focused on reducing the number of false positives that are typically found from financial crime mitigation software. The AI helps to reduce those numbers. Um, and by reducing the number of false positives, that also means the number of payments that are correctly straight through processing out the door increases, which, of course, then gives a benefit to your underlying um, customers. And just to explain what a false positive is, within a financial crime mitigation software, um, there are rules to determine um, whether a payment could potentially look suspicious and require a secondary look at it, which without AI would mean it would go to a compliance officer's queue for them to take a look. And then they would have to make that manual determination and decisioning of, you know what, I know this payment's good. I know the underlying customer. Um, it, it's not on a sanction list or anything like that. I'm okay to release it. Um, the AI and the machine learning enables those false positives to be automated and go away. So better experience for the end customers, and then, which is even more important if you're a corporate with high volume payments going through the organization. And of course, it means there's less manual intervention. Less manual intervention means... Um, it's, uh, it's, it's cheaper for the, for the bank to be, to be processing. And ultimately, we want to increase our efficiency, keep down uh, losses and um, keep down the costs, overhead costs. Um, our explainable AI, let me back up to your original question of um, how else is it deployed? We have pre-configured models, uh, which comes with our software, um, which is obviously an accelerator for anyone. These pre-configured models, we can be looking at deploying them with other software, but of course, we've also got the ability with the right technical resources to be um, creating our own algorithms um, to, to, to leverage that capability as much as, any, as anyone desires. So a data scientist would have a lot of fun with, with our, our explainable AI. And was that something you built in-house or did you acquire that? Or how oh, long have yes. you had that? Um, we acquired... Uh, the explainable AI from a company called Logical Glue. And we acquired them in the July 
of, what year are we now? July 2019, if my memory serves me right. Um, and yes, it was, a, it was an acquisition and um, it was a very purposeful acquisition because there were a lot of AI and machine learning on the market, but that explainability, which is very much patented, um, was one of the major reasons um, that, that we, we acquired that, that, that capability. Can you break that down a little bit, what you mean by explainability? Uh, I understand that it has to do with being able to explain how it reaches conclusions, basically, but uh, what does that look like? How does that happen? Okay, good question. So if we think about um, a couple of years ago, there was an incident with Apple cards where they um, became subject to an inquiry because it was perceived there was bias or gender bias um, based upon credit scores and the number of, of, of decisions that were in favor of, of um, guys versus gals. Um, they were unable to explain how the algorithm had come to that conclusion. From our perspective, when we look at the algorithm that's made a decision, it'll actually be printing out in a, in a readable format where you don't need to be a data scientist to understand it from the red to the green, what that score was and the underlying based simple questions that in effect gave rise to that score. So you'd also be able to, if you're wanting to talk to someone where the credit score or the scoring um, didn't serve them well, you could say in order to increase your score, so that you would pass next time, this is where you need to be improving. So our explainable AI needs you to drill into that underlying decision, the underlying questions that are underneath and how that score came about. And then it could obviously be made available to a regulator if they needed to, 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 to get access to it. And also it can be made available to anyone within the financial institution who, as I say, was working with a client that maybe is wanting to get a mortgage and wants to improve their score well hey this is how if you improve your score this is how we can help you get that rate down so is a use case for the AI to do alternative credit scoring is that something you can support that's that's another use case we have absolutely uh, along with um we've got other use cases would include from a wealth management perspective um there's a lot of interest these days into um that ESG aspect of where maybe you want to be, um, if, if you want to make sure that your assets, your monies are being invested in the companies that are very conscious about their carbon footprint, for example. That's a use case where the AI can be data mining to look for the companies that are proactively managing their carbon footprint to therefore then make the recommendation that this would be an investment that would meet the needs of Lorraine because she's very keen to only invest in, in um, companies that are, that, 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 are, that are carbon footprint conscious. Um, the survey also found, well, it referenced the survey, the, this report did about IT executives that found 85% have a clear strategy for adopting AI in the development of new products and services. Um, I wondered, what have you seen? What does that mean to have a clear strategy in your opinion? I think when executives take a look back across their, and take a step back and look across the organization and see where their biggest pain points are from be it a, a cost perspective, be it a we need to have more automation in order for us to get better scale. I think that's where the executives are seeing where 
AI could best leverage? Because AI can be deployed in so many different ways from a, a very simple chatbot to take away just those, those rudimentary touch points with the client. But the moment the chatbot, the person says, yes, that's what I would like, you then get them engaged with a, a, a human to make sure that you keep that hands-on touch. So I think very much executives know that they have a clear strategy that AI is important to them. But when we then have to do is that next click down and then say, and how exactly are we going to go about that together? In the world today where everyone's pinching on margins, you know, with the interest rates still being incredibly low, um, we really have to find a way to keep our costs down to increase our revenues uh, and to leverage the human resources in a capacity where they're truly adding value so that we can leverage uh, technology and in particular AI and straight through processing to take that more mundane and humdrum work um, out of that cost for the, for the, for the, for the organizations. Okay. What was the most interesting finding for you from the report? Um, for me, from the report, you know what? I, I think it's not, oh yeah, one of the most interesting to me is, is really just how simple yet efficient ultimately AI is. Because banks and financial institutions, we've all had access to data for years. And I mean, for years, the data has always been there. And yet, it's only when you really start to not just get access to it, but get access to it to do something meaningful with it. It's very easy to forget how important using that data wisely is and how then we can be staying relevant with our customers. And because of the way in which the world of banking has changed so dramatically, never mind over the last two years for COVID, but I mean, it's significantly increased exponentially over the last three, four, five years. But consumers like ourselves have become very much less loyal to the financial institutions that we use and have been, it's much more easy for us to get access to other banking capabilities by organizations offering them to us at the most relevant time of the transaction. Um, and, and, and I mean, you know, an example I'll give you, it, it never ceases to amaze me how I might've been Googling on my phone, looking for something super exciting, like a, a steam cleaner, cleaner. <laughs> and then suddenly I am met by that um, link in maybe a Facebook or something on LinkedIn comes in as, as an advertisement or even an email. And it's not just taking you to look at that steam cleaner. It's also telling you where it's available to buy in three other places. And here's the deep, this different prices. But it's also been saying in the event that I go and buy it with you, would you now like to do a buy now, pay later? Or would you just like a short-term installment loan? Um, it, they're making it so easy for us to, 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 to bank. Of course, there's pros and cons to that as well. But, um, and that for me though is all done by the power of data. 
You've been listening to The Buzz, a Bank Automation News podcast. Thank you for your time, and be sure to visit us at bankautomationnews.com. You can also follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn. Please don't hesitate to rate this podcast on your platform of choice.